the Data Driven Marketer, a podcast dedicated to helping today's marketing operations, demand gen, and sales operations professionals learn from each other's experiences to become more successful. Welcome to the podcast, The Data Driven Marketer. I'm Alan Pogorzelski. I'm here today with David Thompson, CMO of Freshworks. David, thanks for joining us today. Alan, it's great to be here. Thanks a lot. Well, I know that Freshworks is a household name in many circles, including here in the Bay Area. And you guys have done some amazing things over the last couple of years, but not all of our audience is familiar with you all. Uh, we start by sharing a little bit about yourself and about Freshworks. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, again, my name is David Thompson. I'm Chief Marketing Officer of Freshworks. And uh, just a little bit about myself, you know, I've been uh, in the SaaS business since literally the dawn of SaaS time. That's why I like to uh, refer to myself as a SaaS dinosaur sometimes. I was the CMO <laughs> at, at WebEx back when we launched in uh, 1999 and then went public uh, a year and a half later on $2 million in revenue. I know it's crazy, but that's what we did <laughs> back in those early days of SaaS and the, the dot-com boom. And uh, ever since then, I've uh, pretty much devoted myself to the SaaS business and SaaS companies, both as a, a consultant and as a CMO. I started my own SaaS company called Genius.com, which was an early Marketo competitor. And then I've, I've been a consultant for VCs in the Valley here for some 25-odd SaaS companies. And most recently, I was working with this really cool startup out of India called Freshworks, that's part of this rising generation of, of new SaaS as opposed to legacy SaaS, which, you know, 20 years in, we now have legacy SaaS. And they're just so exciting and so fun and so interesting that I, I had to join them full-time as CMO. <laughs> that's great. Can you share with us a little bit about what Freshworks does? Um, because sure. you guys have, a, have a quite a, a broad offering. Yeah, well, I think the easiest way to get Freshworks is to think of it as Salesforce for the rest of us. <laughs> and, and, and that's, uh, you know, another statement about kind of where we are in the SaaS industry. We've got these legacy players that have been around for 20 odd years like Salesforce. And you've got fresh new players like Freshworks that's up and coming uh, global company started in India, completely fanatically devoted to user experience and empowering end users and the long tail of the SMB with great CRM solutions, whether it's in sales, marketing, or support, and one unified experience that's uh, tr truly fresh, as we like to say. And um, one of my favorite expressions of our uh, CEO and co-founder is to say Freshworks designs not for the Fortune 500, but for the not so more fortunate 5 million of SMBs that want to take part in this SaaS revolution, but all of these legacy solutions have become kind of too complicated and too expensive for them to actually use. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I've heard some amazing things about how easy it is to use Freshworks from a lot of the contractors we work with. So no, no doubt a fabulous product. Now, offline, we were talking about some really interesting research that you guys are working on. And, and I will say that, that all of us at the Data Driven Marketer absolutely love primary research. So I'd love for us to talk a little bit about that. You mentioned this, uh, this piece called The Voice and the Choice. Can you share with us what that's all about? Sure. Well, I think it, it, in order to kind of get the bigger picture on how we approach research, Alan, it, it, it helps to back up a little bit and, and just talk about why we do this. And what I like to call this is data-driven thought leadership. And the reason I call it that 
is so often CMOs kind of go off into the cloud, 30,000 feet in the air, and they, they come up with these ideas that from a sales point of view don't seem like they matter, like they're not impactful. And, you know, they might tell a story about the industry or the cloud or, you know, some uh, trend, or they might talk about, <laughs> who knows, like charitable giving as part of corporate culture or whatever. And the salespeople kind of wonder, well, how does that help me sell more? And so at Freshworks and actually throughout my career, I've always had this kind of fanatical devotion to coming up with big ideas. And at, and at Freshworks, we have this big idea that we call Indian democratic design because the company was started in India and we're very devoted as the largest democracy in the world to empowering as many people as possible to be as successful as possible. That's, that's really kind of Freshworks in a nutshell, whether it's, you know, the frontline worker in support or the sales gal just trying to make her number, we want to empower them to be successful. And this philosophy that we have called Indian democratic design is all about making software easier for them to use, simpler to use, empowering them to be self-reliant. And we articulated all these ideas in a book that we called Indian democratic design. And we published that on the web and it's called demdesign.in. That's the where, where the book can be found if you're interested. But then we wanted to kind of go into, all right, if you're making software that's truly easier to use and truly simpler, how do you prove that it's having an impact? And how do you prove to your customers that by making the experience easier to use for an end user, that their business is actually getting better? And so that's why we did this survey, coming back to this voice and the choice, because the way we looked at it, Alan, is if we're saying it's easier to use, who best is there to tell us whether something's easier to use than the end user themselves? And mm -hmm. so we did this survey. We went out to, I think it's some 400-odd uh, CRM users, sales users, support users, and we said, tell us, what do you think about your software? And how did your software get chosen? Were you part of the choice? And do you feel like you're being productive in using this software that you use, whether it's, you know, SFA software or marketing software or support software? And so we did this survey called Voice in the Choice. And the answer came back overwhelmingly that the answer is A, no, like 96% of the frontline workers had no involvement whatsoever in the software that they chose. And over 50% of them said that this software that they hate to use is actually making them less productive. And so then, then we asked them, okay, well, how much time are you wasting every day or every week? And it can be up to 10 hours with this software that essentially their management chose for them, told them they had to use, and as a result of them having this choice forced on them that they're wasting, you know, up to 10 hours a week in clicking unnecessarily, tabbing through a whole bunch of different interfaces, switching between different applications that aren't integrated. And as a result of that, their productivity just takes a huge hit. And the big headline on the survey is that some 500 million hours a year are wasted on this software, which, you know, results in over $8 billion of losses to companies. So the, the whole point of this, Alan, was to put a number 
and it's a very conservative number, I might add, on when you don't give your users a choice over what software that they're using and they hate using that software, it has a huge impact on business results and, and certainly on the bottom line. Well, sure. I mean, that makes perfect sense. If you've got folks that are using a product that isn't right for them, and they feel it's been forced upon them. Yeah, nothing good is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, there were, um, there were some... That's like that. Yeah, there, was some, there were some really funny things that came out of the survey, too. Like, these end users say that they have more choice in what snacks are served <laughs> in their office <laughs> than they do over the software that they use. And, and, and 20, 24% of them say using this software makes them want to quit their job. And it's even higher for, <laughs> for millennials, as you can as you can probably appreciate. These these millennials, you know, want their software work to be as easy to use as like Facebook or Instagram. And like thirty percent of them are saying, "Hey, I'm I'm going to leave my job because of this this legacy software that I'm forced to use." Oh wow, that, that's pretty amazing. I, I know all of us that that are involved in, in marketing and sales on, on the operations side know how important that is. Um, mm -hmm. It is uh, an exceptionally hot market right now. And people can, if they decide they're unhappy, can usually find a job in less than 30 days if they care to. Exactly. And in a hot market like this, it matters so much more. So that that's really interesting stuff. And, and now, so, uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Alan. I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead. No, I was just <laughs> going to say that one of the um, interesting trends that we've seen kind of in parallel to this research that we did is we have more and more customers. I, I call them our, our most enlightened customers coming to us and saying, Hey, we really believe that this ease of use, this simplicity, this, you know, reducing the number of ticks, it, it clicks it takes to manage a ticket or to start up a, a deal and a CRM, whatever the case may be. We actually want to involve our end users in choosing the software. And so we've seen several customers set up test beds where as part of their RFP, they're actually putting their users, you know, whether they're support users or sales users, actually in a, a essentially a competitive focus group where they use our product and they use a competing product and they give them specific tasks to perform. And, and then they watch and record, you know, how many clicks and or how long does it take for them to perform a particular task. And then they also ask them to vote at the end of this, of which, which of these experiences did you prefer to use? And, and so we're mm -hmm. calling that the flip side of this democratic, you know, crisis in, in software being chosen for users where now enlightened managers are saying, Hey, we're giving them a, a voice in the choice. We're letting them vote on what software they actually want to use. Wow. This is interesting stuff. If someone wanted to take a look at that research and read through it themselves, is there a place they can go to download that? Absolutely. We've got it on freshworks.com and it is easily searchable there. And uh, we'll, we'll send out a, a specific URL for you to post alongside the, the podcast here. Awesome. We'll, we'll make sure that folks have it in, in the notes as they click on and listen to one of these. Now, uh, as I mentioned before, we love research because we are data-driven folks here at the Data Driven Marketer. And you had mentioned another study as well uh, on the topic of AI and CRM. And I thought that was really interesting because AI has been so hot over the last couple of years that I, I think a lot of people are even tired of hearing about it. Um, and I know <laughs> without a doubt, it's true. Yeah, and it, it's it's worked its way into just about every vendor's messaging, and that's probably not a good thing. 
because people are learning more and more about what it is and they realize that, boy, that's not really what's going on behind the scenes. Will you share with us a little bit about the research you did on, on AI and CRM Sure. As well? well, AI is obviously a very hot topic, but what we wanted to do in this research was really just kind of take a step back and say, hey, what is it like from the user's point of view? Because again, that's what Freshworks is fanatical about, is what is the actual end user experience and what is the actual end user impact and benefit? And so we wanted to do this survey of users, CRM users in particular, since that's obviously the space that we're addressing, and asking them, hey, how is AI helping you or not? And, and we came up with some fairly surprising results that only 11% of CRM users, actually 12% of CRM users actually use any AI at all, which just seemed like a fairly small number compared to the hype. That's why we called it the, the AI hype report. And of those uh, 12%, only 11% of those 12% say that it has any impact on how they deal with customers, on whether it allows them to like more effectively address high value customers and only half of them, about 49%, can in any way concretely identify how AI is even supposed to help them get their job done better. And so clearly, <laughs> this research shows that, you know, versus the hype, we're just at the very, very early stages of adoption and even awareness and, and certainly a concrete understanding of how AI is helping you know, let's say a support agent or a sales rep do her job better. And so we, we found that to be extremely interesting. And, and so what we're, we're trying to do as a result of these insights is get to a better understanding of what types of technologies are having an impact. And, you know, what we're seeing in our customer base is we, we have a, a bot called uh, Freddy Agent Assist, which is basically like a learning bot. It helps you kind of learn how to do more complex tasks faster. And so what we're seeing in our user base, there's like 30% adoption of that versus this 12% this adoption. And then when, we're, when we survey those users, they're able to identify that, you know, they're getting up to speed on these more complex learning programs that they go through, like, you know, basically 50% faster than they were before. And so that, that, so what we're trying to do is just translate this kind of high level hype report into, okay, well, if it's not working at this broad level, then where is it actually working? And these were some of the areas that we identified specifically in terms of agent learning that the impact actually seems to be higher. Okay. And then, you know, that makes perfect sense. I, I think there's a frustration among users who, who have been thrust into these settings where they say, well, we've got AI behind the scenes. And it doesn't surprise me at all that, that the adoption hasn't been very high. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's for a lot of reasons. One is I think people don't understand it. And I think also an awful lot of the models that AI are working from, um, you know, are using really bad data to begin with. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're training on bad data, yeah, you're going yep. to get bad results. And, and, and you, a lot of, uh, yeah, go ahead. You know, one of the things, Alan, is there's a really close relationship in my mind between this result that we got in the AI hype report and in the voice and the choice because AI has been so hyped and it's kind of been hyped toward management, right? Toward the decision makers in enterprise software who are actually, you know, uh, writing these RFPs and then making the choice of which system to buy. 
And, you know, let's face it, when, when you're at a management level, when you're at a C level, I'll be honest, it's kind of easy to get seduced by the siren song of like, oh my God, AI is just going to reduce your costs. You know, you're going to be able to, you know, answer so many more questions so much more quickly with a bot than with a human that your, your costs are going to plummet. Right. And, and so when, when those types of equations and those types of promises are put in front of the purchasers, it definitely has an impact because they, they think they can model out a P and L that's so like cool and so amazing based on AI. But then the reality hits when the users actually get a hold of this stuff and start actually trying to use it and deploy it, you know, whether it's like a chat bot on a website or whether it's a, you know, a, a voice driven reporting system or whatever the AI capability may be that the, when the reality hits, the impacts much, much lower than, than what the hype had promised the management team. And that's why we think it's so important, even in more sophisticated technologies like AI, particularly as you just pointed out, Alan, with these poor data sets to make sure before you buy, you actually try it and you actually get in with users and get in with customers like with bots and make sure that the data is there in order to drive, you know, a better experience. Absolutely. You know, that makes perfect sense. You know, we always recommend to people that if they're about to buy an AI app, number one, make sure you've got your data ready. And, and if there's folks who are saying, oh, we, we don't have any data, they take care of that for us, but then that should be even a, a bigger red flag because that means they're using some other business rather than yours to help model that business and make it work. So it may not work for you, but it'll work for somebody else that they did the training data with. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really important point. Otherwise, yeah, people are unhappy, the results are suboptimal, and eventually that works all the way back up to the executive who originally made that decision to go AI when it doesn't pan out. So yeah, definitely yeah. words the wise on that one. Yeah, I think I no, think that's I, so that's so important, Alan, because you know, non-technical people who aren't, you know, data scientists or or steeped in technology really kind of don't necessarily see the relationship between the data set and the ability of an, uh, a machine learning algorithm to actually produce an impactful insight and then uh, improve the results as a, as a result of that insight, that, that that awareness is not yet there yet. And I think accounts for a lot of this low adoption that we're seeing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so words of the wise, make sure you get everyone involved in one of those initiatives before you kick it off. Otherwise, it's not likely to be successful. Absolutely. Now, I, I think that's really, yeah, that's exciting stuff. Now, uh, I want to switch gears for a minute and, and talk about one other topic before we close today, and that's a little bit about, about careers. You know, as you know, um, many of our listeners aspire to get that CMO role like you have, and many of them are looking to what that next step is to get from that manager level or director level up into the next step. So I would love for you to share with all of our listeners uh, some of your thoughts you had on what it takes to get to the next step and where they should focus their true career to get where you have. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, given the, the focus of this podcast, what I would say is, you know, when, when you're moving up the ladder in marketing, whether it's, you know, from product marketing or from growth marketing and demand gen marketing, you know, uh, wherever your path has taken you, you know, data is obviously critical to success kind of at the tactical day to day level, you know, whether you're, 
optimizing a, a lead scoring algorithm for sales to help improve um, a throughput on, on the funnel and the pipeline, or whether you're in product marketing, you know, trying to prove that, that, that your product is, is better than your competition through uh, focus groups or, or data collection efforts there. I think the difference between being data-driven at that level and at the CMO level is how well can you tie together a data story with a big picture compelling story, right? And I'll, ju I'll just give you one example from my own career that, that really broke through. So I, I uh, was CMO at a company called auction.com, which is essentially like eBay for real estate, you know, an early competitor against Redfin and those types uh, uh, four or five years ago. And we had an investment from Google. Google uh, Capital came into the company. And we realized that by working with Google kind of on a big data project, we could have a big impact at the PR level, right? Because, you know, you had the CNBCs and you had a whole bunch of different press, uh, business press people wanting to know why is Google investing in this company, right? Why is Google investing in auction.com, a real estate company? And so what we did is we worked with Hal Varian, who's the chief economist of Google, and we came up with a new way to forecast real estate pricing and unit volumes based on Google traffic and our own pricing data on our, uh, our platform. And we announced this, it's called the auction.com nowcast based on Google's algorithms. We announced this and it was this, this huge uh, PR explosion, right? It, it just caused a, a, a huge amount of traffic on social, a huge amount of traffic on PR. But more importantly, it really woke up key customers, key providers of real estate onto our platform to give us more volume, to give us more assets to sell because they realized that our data was better at pricing their assets and getting them sold. And so the strategy there is, how do you tie a story at the PR level, at the thought leadership level, to the actual sales level? And so what happened when we launched this initiative with Google is uh, we were trying to reduce our marketing costs by 25%, which we achieved. We were trying to increase our revenue by 10%. And as a result of this data-driven model, we actually increased revenue by 15%. And so when you can get to that level of tying thought leadership and PR together with sales results, that's really what makes you a CMO. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I think there's some really sage advice in there. Um, you know, for all you guys that have, you know, you're working on a project and it, it might seem a couple lowers different than what the CEO was working on. You know, it, it, it almost goes without saying, but I, but I see very few people doing it these days. You know, tie your project to the, the bigger picture, whether that's revenue growth or whether that's uh, saving the company money. That path, it sounds like, is the right one to get you to that CO, CMO level because it up-levels your project, up-levels your value uh, to the organization as well. So I think that's awesome advice. So, David, I just want to thank you for being on our program today. I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts. I, My I know pleasure, Alan. I love what they're hearing. So, hey, thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, yeah. I look forward to, to hearing what you're up to next. Thanks Absolutely. again. Absolutely. Take care, Alan. Thanks a lot. 
You've been listening to The Data-Driven Marketer. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening and geeking out with us on data. Until next time. OpenPrize helps businesses automate their marketing and sales processes and clean up their data to make all their data-driven technologies actually work. Learn more at openprizetech.com.